It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with a group of award-winning journalists from the East End to talk about the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the South Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton, managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Great panel this week. We have Alec Lewis, who is a staff writer at Riverhead Local. Hey, Alec. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Uh, we have uh, Christopher Ganjemi, who is a staff writer at the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chris. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And we're happy to welcome back Gianna Volpe, who is the host of The Heart of the East End, right here on WLIWFM. And that airs in the mornings and re airs at midnight. Gianna, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to have you on the show. So this is the time of year that we all look forward to, which is the end of the election cycle. I think <laughs> it's like we can all take a deep breath and it's almost time to vote. And actually, people can start voting uh, this weekend, uh, if I'm not mistaken. People are already casting ballots regionally. Uh, this has been it, it was a slow burn for a very long time, um, especially when it came to New York state races, but certainly it heated up here at the end. Um, Gianna, we, we have a different governor's race than we started out with, for sure. Uh, all the polls seem to suggest that things have tightened up. Uh, right. It's going to be an interesting vote um, this yeah. year. Yeah, and 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 an important one, as it is every year. I do, I do want to say um, how great early voting is. Uh, it does start this weekend, and folks uh, can go to one of 27 polling sites. They don't need to go to their own uh, a site, which I think is so great. Uh, the thing I've been touting on the air is uh, don't put all your eggs in the November 8th basket, because you never know, of course, what if something happens that day and you're too busy. Um, so definitely elections.ny.gov. Uh, but also, as far as the ballot measures are concerned, check out vote411.org from the League of Women's Voters just to find out about the ballot measures. If you haven't, you know, made yourself, um, you know, uh, privy to what's going to be on the ballot. <clears throat> as far as the governor's debate, which uh, it was, it was really an interesting debate. Um, if if you haven't seen it ny1.com has like an open access link where you can replay it anytime. Uh, I definitely recommend uh, folks check it out um, before they head to the polls. And it was the only debate between those two candidates. And, and right. I, you know, I've noticed that that's become a trend. It's it's getting harder and harder to get candidates to sit down for debates. And this was uh, particularly interesting. Al Alec, uh, by the way, I did want to piggyback on something that Gianna said. I think the idea of the early voting and you can vote at any of the sites is really terrific in the sense of it's a lot more convenient for people to vote near right. where they work, that kind of thing. I, it really opens up that opportunity. It, 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 it always used to seem kind of restrictive. I mean, it was all day on that Tuesday, but for people who worked and had kids and families and lives and, and all that to, to have it restricted only to, you know, to a single day always seemed a little, um, Restrictive, I guess. Absolutely. And a single site. Yeah. And a single site. You know, what if you work, which is yeah. often the case right. uh, out here on the East End, you may work far from where you live. 
Yeah. It's a, it's a really um, basic way to make voting a little more accessible. Alec, do we believe the polls um, that the the governor's race has tightened as much as as they suggest it has? Uh, whew, wow, that's um, <laughs> a, a heavy question. I mean, for myself, I think Zeldin's definitely looking like. I mean, he's he's stoking. Uh, a lot of fears that New Yorkers have right now, and rightfully so, rightful fears, fears of crime that, you know, uh, economic insecurity, those type of things. I felt like he played to those um, uh, insecurities in the debate, and I thought it was actually very effective, especially since Hochul didn't exactly give the best rebuttals to those statements and kind of played it off, downplayed it a little bit. But I, you know what, I'm actually inclined to, um, to, to believe how close they are in the race in the polls right now, because I feel like if, if not, then some New Yorkers would just say it would just shrug off how shrug off the importance of this race and then not vote. Like we all talk about how the midterms people don't come out to vote as, as much as other, other people. And I, I, as other races. And I think that's going to be important. If, if, you know, if your candidate is neck and neck, then maybe you'll be uh, more inclined to come out to uh, vote now. In fact, the, the times had coverage a few days ago about how the um, democratic super PACs are actually putting in a lot of money in New York. Now, like unions are banding together in the city just to get people out to vote. Like, because, it feels like, um, you know, if they don't, maybe that although the Democrats have like a two to one vote enrollment advantage, some Democrats just might not come out <laughs> to support Hochul. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris, historically, I, I think that's that's always been kind of true with with the Democrats when, you know, when when they didn't feel like races were tight, that, you know, that, that they didn't, didn't turn out. I've been saying for months that 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 you know this election i think it's going to be pretty tight personally joe and i disagree on that but i think it's going to be a a fairly tight race and and i think i've been saying for months that that it it all comes down to voter turnout for you know for for all of these races right Right. chris full disclosure yeah i my i'm on record i think it's going to end up being a 10 point spread in the end but that's based on the idea that i think there there are a lot of quiet Democratic votes out there. I mean, frankly, it's very difficult for a Republican of any stripe to win at the state level in New York. And can Zeldin pull it off? I mean, I think he's actually running the table pretty well. And as Alex said, I think he's hitting on on issues that matter to a lot of voters in New York uh, and playing on fears, quite frankly. I think that is that's a fair statement. But yeah. I don't know. I, I've I've said that I just think the math is too stacked against uh, uh, a guy like Lee Zeldin, who is not George Pataki, he is not a moderate Republican. He's he's very much to the right. right. And I cannot see a path for someone like that. Well, isn't that one of the things that Hochul tried to stoke in her debate is that he has this, uh, you know, bond with Donald Trump? Um, well, that- rightfully so. You know, I do want to say that the one thing that I did not understand is why was he going after Alvin Bragg so much? And it wasn't until reading a news item the next morning when I found out that Alvin Bragg was involved in litigation against Donald Trump's family that it all clicked into place. 
And I, I thought he was very careful to try to separate himself from Donald Trump, but it's very difficult to do so when you consider his history. I, I think he's counting on that Donald Trump support vote. Yeah. I, I think absolutely that's that's what he's pushing for. And that's those are going to be the surprise voters in this election, like they were two years ago and four years um you, you know before that is is you, you I think we've seen the 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 that the Donald Trump supporters are the ones that don't respond very well to the polls and aren't represented in that polling and and those are the the voters that that can get out the vote and come out strong and you know and I think Lee really Lee Zeldin really wants those voters and wants to be associated with the guy that supported um you know Trump and denied the election and right. you know, and 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 all of that stuff I think that so, so Chris what's your take well I just think um I, I think Alec made a good point I, I I don't think Hochul is and and full disclosure I have not watched the debate but I did read Christopher Wallace's article um about it I I don't think people are really fired up about Hochul and that's a real problem if you know I'm in Sac Harbor, so I know this is Alden's district, but if you just look at the sign game, um, there's a lot of Zeldin signs. Uh and 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 frankly, just to, to pivot a little bit, there's not as many Bridget Fleming signs as I would think either. I mean, she lives here. Um, so I don't really feel that the Democrats are super fired up about Hochul, and that makes me think that it will be tighter uh than than people expect and i think also alec mentioned that you know he's he's playing on fears and you know you you can talk to people um in long island uh everybody's got a story about the city being kind of dicey mm. um you know i i thought for a while that the election might be about abortion but it, it does seem to be it people are talking more about crime and i think mm. that also benefits Zeldin. So. But I wonder, and, and I wonder if the tightening polls, and Alec kind of touched on this a little bit, whether that'll help spark a little bit of uh, turnout on the Democratic side, because now there's a reason to turn out. I mean, I think if, you know, the original polls that had Hochul up by such huge amounts certainly didn't benefit, um, you know, didn't encourage Democrats to turn out. And I think with the polls tightening, they will. But yeah, the Bridget Fleming, uh, Nick Lelota race, we have uh, a debate uh, that is taking place and it should be online, uh, this weekend. Um, it's, you know, getting close to the, to the vote, but we were able to sneak in a, a debate involving the two candidates. Um, I think that's going to be a very close race and, and the national pollsters, um, have that leaning Republican though. And, and, uh, enough so that, uh, it seems to be, uh, conclusive, uh, Bridget's got a tough battle. She's, she's fought this battle before, and come up short. Um, uh, she's she's got a tough battle against Nick Pelota, the Republican candidate. Yeah, yeah. Again, it comes down to voter turnout, and um, you know, I, I think that um, th that's been the the congressional race. I mean, we we said this last week. It's been fairly quiet and kind of tame, um, which which. I, I would have thought it would have been a little more spicy. Not that I want to see all that spicy, you know, like electeering, like you know, and all that. But um, it, it's been quite a, kind of quiet on on both sides. And I imagine 
Um, Lolota, if he's smart, is is focusing on the western end of the district, um, you know, where he's got the strong Republican base. Um, but I, I, I and I, I, I think Chris is right. I mean, he's, there's always been a lot of Democratic support out here on the east end, but we know that um, you know, numbers wise, it, it's the it's the western end of the district, um, you know, that can can decide this race just because, um, you know, Brookhaven and and even um, Western Southampton Town and and um, you know and and Riverhead can can lean lean Republican. Going to be an interesting vote, and uh, you know I think we're all going to be watching it closely. There's a lot of races up for grabs this year, um, and obviously at both the state and the national level, some pretty momentous uh, choices. And we should mention, and Gianni, you had mentioned it briefly that. Everybody needs to remember, it's very important this year, that you remember to flip your ballot over and vote on the propositions. There are some very important propositions. There's, there are three. Uh, one involves the Community Housing Fund, which I think is, right. is a generational vote. I mean, I think this is a yeah. significant vote that people, I'm not sure people uh, are are completely lined up behind this in the way that they ended up being when they approved the community preservation fund in uh, two th- I'm sorry, in 1999. But uh, this is a really important uh, moment where you can create a half a percent transfer tax to help fund affordable housing measures. Um, each of the towns, except for Riverhead, Alec, uh, who has decided to sit this one out this year, because Riverhead, I think R- Riverhead has said they have plenty of affordable housing. And I think there's some truth to that. But I I suspect if it if it is passed in the four other East End towns that have this measure up, Riverhead may revisit because it is an opportunity to find a new funding stream for these projects. But there are two other propositions. One is a county proposition that has to do with term limits to try and clean that up. And the other is is a state measure that has to do with how some uh, funds are being spent uh, on uh, environmental stuff, things like that. So quite quite a, bit, quite a lot of money on, on that state proposition. I mean, it, it's, it's significant. Absolutely. And so the want to remind everybody to flip your ballots and vote for the propositions this year. It's very important. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group and our panelists there, are Alec Lewis of Riverhead Local, Chris Gangemi of the East Hampton Star and Gianna Volpe of WLIW. Um, Chris, let's talk about East Hampton Village. There's some stuff going on over in the village there that uh, is of interest. And uh, one of them has to do with Town Pond. Tell us what's going on there. So um, at the last village board meeting last week, they they talked about planting a a pollinator garden, you know, surrounding Town Pond uh, in the last year or so after after they did some dredging of town pond the water level hasn't been you know maintained there was a a pump that was blamed for that some people have wondered if there was some kind of clay seal that you know was was keeping the water in the pond so the water quality uh, has deteriorated it's it's low um and it just doesn't look you know town pond is right at the entrance to east hampton you, know, you drive in there, you make that left and you see it and it's, you know, beautiful, could be beautiful. Um, so I think that this is a welcome idea to to replant around the pond, have some flowers and whatnot. Um, and 
and, and hopefully improve the water quality. So, so Chris, why did they dredge Town Pond? What was the point of dredging Town Pond in the first place? Well, I think, and, and it predates my, 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 is, my uh, learning of the issue, but I, I'm pretty sure that they were worried about water quality in Hook Pond and dredging Town Pond. You know, it all flows towards, towards Hook Pond in the end. It, you know, it's, it's also one of the reasons why the village is looking into uh, sewering. Um, you know, uh, the the water goes, and they actually have a bioswell right off of uh, Guild Hall also, that's supposed to help with water quality, goes into Town Pond and then flows towards Hook Pond. So I believe that the original dredging had to do with water quality um, issues there. You just get rid of all that sediment at the bottom. Yeah, the muck and whatnot, yeah. which, you know, I guess was, um, so yeah. But the that's, irony being that, that the project may have actually led to... Yes lower water quality but this is not a new problem i mean there's a lot of a lot of villages that are dealing with their um ponds and and lake agawam in in southampton oh. village right. has been an issue for years so uh sewers really is in the long term it's going to be the answer in most of these communities right is that you know in addressing the the water quality yeah and um you know the the sewering it, it's it's interesting because you know, they have this proposal for uh, putting sewers under the long-term lot in uh, East Hampton Village, and I guess that's being studied still. Um, but it ties into, you know, other other things in the village as well as, as growth. You know, if, if, if there's sewers, or, you know, will there be more, um, sorry, will there be more, um, you know, County business capacity? Yeah. yeah. Capacity, that's capacity, right. One of the things that's really limiting uh, that point was made. We had an event uh, this week talking about the future of Hampton Bays and Hampton Bays is not a village. It's a hamlet, but it's it's another has a fairly, you know, it's the most most densely uh, developed part of Southampton town, uh, more so than even the other villages. And there's no sewer district. And uh, Jay Schneiderman made the point that, you know, you can't come in and put apartments in above places. And it's not because of town zoning. It's because the Suffolk County uh, Department of Health won't allow it because right. you don't have septics. You don't have the capacity. So sewers will, will go a long way towards helping to address this in a lot of communities. And yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think that one um, interesting, you know, I've been following along with the Surfrider Blue Water Task Force readings of, of some areas. And uh, I, you know, I've learned a lot just because I never paid attention to uh, water quality. I never would have thought about, I mean, I wouldn't swim at Windmill Beach in Sarah Harbor just because it's very right there. But, but nonetheless, people do, you know, especially in the summer and, and starting to read and learn how there's certain hot spots where, where there's this, you know, high bacteria levels. And it, I think it's been really effective of opening up this conversation and, uh, and, and having people understand um, more about what safe water is and how it's all tied to the septic, to drinking water, you know, um, and then we had the drought this summer too. So I feel like water is, is, has been around a lot in the last six months and people are talking about it. And personally, 
just driving around and watching, looking at all my neighbors with their sprinklers on all the time in rainstorms. Now it's like a new thing to be enraged about a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, which I, I didn't have that previously, but now I'm like, what are these people doing with their sprinklers? You know, like don't that. they know about the water situation? And, you know, uh, so I think that's kind of a, a new conversation. Maybe not. It's, a new like conversation. Hand, it's, it's hands down the most important one to have, especially out here. Um, and, and the movement toward, uh, installing all the smart septic systems, right. um, trying to fix the fact that, uh, what was it last year, two years ago, uh, people were getting charged on their tax bill, uh, for these smart septic systems that were uh, supposed to be covered, um, fixing that that's, that's, it's all huge stuff. Um, and the, and the more we can get smart septic and updating those systems the more we can uh, you know build rain gardens right. uh, the better the better off we'll be uh, yeah and you know that that's a great point gianna they've never really um completely fixed that issue about the tax impact of putting in these systems that uh really caught a lot of people off guard and and i think it, you know that program of encouraging people to sign up and, and install these systems never got a chance to get any momentum because that tax issue came up. And immediately, I think anybody who was even on, on the fence about it just said, no, I'll just sit back. Yeah, no, thank and, you. And those systems aren't cheap. I mean, it, it's a, it's a lot of money. And, it, and if you're, you know, if you're, if the rebates aren't helping you because of the tax situation, what is your incentive other than being environmentally conscious? And, and hopefully right. a lot of people are, but it's prohibitive. I mean, it costs a lot yeah. to live out on, on right, Eastern right. Long Island, and yeah. you know, and to add, you know, to add another cost to that is is just um, incredible. And just to clarify, what what happened was um, a state official. Um, I'm sorry, I believe it was a county official raised the issue, and and uh, the courts have ruled that that people who received that grant money to help offset the cost of installing these systems have to actually pay taxes on that grant money. It's being it's, considered. Uh, a, a gift of some kind, and and really that runs counter to to common sense because adding a septic system is not like you're gaining anything in particular that, of value. <laughs> is it kind of like when a boss gives you a, a a holiday bonus like on your paycheck and then you get taxed on it? Yeah, it's sort of like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, I think this also comes back to the importance of of what's on the ballot this year with the environmental bond as well, right? Yeah. Because this yeah. this is money for you know for infrastructure like sewer and um mm -hmm. and, and other items, and also the um referendum that was on last year about uh, New Yorkers' right to clean water and, and clean air, right, and right, the environment, right. Yeah, these are the they're on the ballot this year again. Chris, you were going to say? Well, you know, just to transition back to Town Pond, I, I just think it's important sim symbolically, too, um, for people to understand. You know, it, currently it's just surrounded by by turf. You know, yeah. it, it's just like a, this big island of, of grass. And, you know, there's a lot of quality of life issues here in, in Sag Harbor and East Hampton. A lot of them have to deal with landscaping noise and, you know, uh, but when you think about grass and all the fertilizer and all that that it takes i know town hall is putting in a pollinator garden and if you think that the entrance to east hampton could possibly be almost like a symbol of another way to landscape 
You know, instead of having this big green lawn, this swath of nothing that's filtering nothing, maybe they can, you know, this wasn't the discussion yet, but I have a feeling that there's there's people who might push towards having something that is more beneficial to the environment and and landscaping is as simple because frankly the area around the pond isn't even really technically a wetland i mean it's 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 raised it's a bulkhead so it's not i don't know how much those plants around the direct edge of the pond are going to filter anything i think they really need to focus more on the north end where there's that big big lawn so i think it'll be an emerging kind of conversation you know it, it raises another point chris that that i've heard made many times by the folks who are experts on the subject, which is, so we can do all of these things and we can add all these filtering uh, wetlands and things, and, and those will all make a difference. But there is 50 years of pollutants working their way through the groundwater towards these, these water bodies that it's going to be there for 50 years one way or the other. We can, we can filter out as much as we can, but we've got, we're going to have a problem for decades, even if we do all these things correctly. It's, it, and it, yeah. doesn't, sort of- it doesn't take much phosphorus to cause an intense algal bloom. So yeah. it's like, it's a very, it's, it's a tough topic, but an important one, unbelievably Absolutely. important. And as, as noted on the ballot this year, we've got to be keeping, again, flip your ballot, yes. do that. Uh, Chris, briefly proposed uh brew pub in the village as well, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, I thought it, it brought up an interesting term I didn't know, which is not ripe, which is this idea that, um, so the brew pub was proposed for Toilsome Lane uh, last August. Uh, Tom Priato, the village's uh, building inspector, off off the cuff at, at a meeting said, yeah, you know, this is okay. And some residents heard that and immediately jumped on it and challenged that saying that he made a, a determination that they could build this you know brew pub um in that area um went to the zba the zba said he hadn't actually made a determination it went to uh the county supreme court and that's when they said this isn't right not right and hmm. it means it's just not they, they they almost challenged it too soon uh and so now we're back to square one there where you know the toilsome brew mill i think it's mill hill realty can can go ahead and develop their plan again and then perhaps the building well they hadn't they hadn't put in a formal application right i mean is that right murmuring that correctly yes and uh, so it's hard to challenge thing. something if, if there's if there's no official application for it right i'm sorry i don't understand what what's ripe like so what does so that the term- mean the term "not ripe" means, I guess, it, it, uh, it it's a legal term that just means it's not yet ready to be oh, okay. rest <laughs> to be challenged. We can't even write about premature. This. Yeah, <laughs> premature. Right. I just right. I thought that was a really funny term that I hadn't yeah. heard before. Well, you have to watch if you're a town, a, a village official, um, making comments even even in passing at meetings because you know they carry weight. You know those, and that that's a demonstration of that. Yeah. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIW-FM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Alec Lewis of Riverhead Local, Gianna Volpe of WLIW-FM, and Christopher Gangemi from the East Hampton Star. Uh, Gianna, this week we marked the 10th anniversary. You know, I, I feel like the 10th anniversary of Superstorm Sandy 
I'm it's actually this weekend. It's I'm, this I'm weekend. Getting... And I think it's the same, I think it's the same timing because I remember going to report on the after effects on Monday and mm. I was dressed as a raccoon. So I remember being on, I think it's but that rabbit, had nothing to do with Halloween, right? <laughs> it was, it was, it was, I'm ridiculous, but it was also, that's how I remember that yeah. I was a little raccoon running along. I think it was called rabbit lane or rabbit run in East Marion <laughs> photographing all of this, uh, you, you should know, have been a ferret. You were yeah. ferreting out the news. I, I was. <laughs> and getting in, I think I got into a single engine airplane with uh, a man named Peter Green, not the same Peter Green that you might be thinking of, but um, and thinking I, I may not come down alive from this thing because it was it was an older plane and photographing those uh, gas lines. I don't know if you guys remember those stretching uh more than a mile um back to the lie the ones in riverhead oh for um, the people trying to get gasoline yeah no it's crazy yeah, so it was i think it was it was that weekend it was like the 28th 29th and then we were photographing the devastation on, on monday the the 31st i think it was the same timing we will have um uh news 12 meteorologist um Rich Hoffman will be joining us here on The Heart on November 3rd to talk about what it was like uh, reporting the story from their angle. But what about you guys? I mean, what do you remember? I remember sitting in one of those those gas lines and I, I remember all the stations, almost 99 percent of the gas stations were out of gasoline. And I right. was, of course, going back and forth. I lived in West Hampton Beach at the time and driving back and forth to the office in, in Southampton. And I remember I don't remember which day it was. It was a couple of days after after the storm and and my car was was on empty and I didn't know if I was going to get home or not. And I drove by <clears throat> it was one gas station in in East Quag that maybe is known for charging a little more per gallon than other gas stations. But um, I saw a line there and I saw them pumping gas and I got in the line and um, and got up to the pump and 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 they were and I'm like, do you have any left? And, and they were, it was like, I was like one of the last cars to, to get filled up. And it was, it's crazy. Um, it was, I mean, it was horrifying because it was, I mean, not, not to, you know, I didn't suffer any damage. I was out of, I was, my apartment was out of power for about a week. Um, I know people suffered a lot more. Oh yeah. Storm and people lost oh, yeah. their homes and, and, and right. all that, but, but just simple stuff like that of being out of power and out of gasoline in the car and trying to do my job and, um, it was uh, it was harbingers of the pandemic. It's <laughs> like, you know, because people were hoarding gas and that was another problem. Yeah. And the reason why uh, gas stations were running out. Hmm. And I wonder if people learned some lessons in in that, that you have to be prepared for those storms. And, and you know, it's important to stress we were not hit with a direct blow from Sandy. We just got a glancing blow. And it caused as much uh, right. havoc as it did, and it really did. It, it 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 did quite a bit of damage, and we saw some real high waters in some areas. I still remember those stunning pictures of Sag Harbor um, right. when the storm surge hit up there. Um, and so it's and, and the so, breach and the breaches on on Dune Road that that were just yeah absolutely right. and the, and the erosion damage. And so yeah. so Alec, you're you're the youngest one of the group here, I think. And I have to tell you that as a journalist, uh, I've I've learned that. It's interesting to be here when big stories happen, when you're still here 
when you're celebrating the anniversaries of those big stories, you start to realize you're getting old. So, um, <laughs> well, um, I mean, unlike you guys, like I was 13 <laughs> when, when that's this, what I when hit. So it's, it, it was like, I remember, um, it being in my house without power, like, next to candles and yeah. you know playing board games whatever we <laughs> whatever we would play in the middle of a storm like without power we'd always like pull out a board game and some candles so mm. um yeah it's it's it yeah it's it's weird too because a lot of people talk about and it's not just like superstorm sandy but it's also like 9-11 like i can't remember 9-11 mm-hmm. i mean like and i grow up i grow up learning it as history i mean sandy's a little bit different but like it's it's certainly you guys have a unique perspective covering it and um i mean riverhead local we actually have this week a article kind of like a retrospective on sandy as well as a lot of news organizations are doing um you know kind of uh we have a slideshow um of some of the pictures that um the staff took um and a video of downtown, the downtown riverfront parking lot just oh, that was crazy. flooded. They got, they got, yep. The, all those stores. Yeah. I remember going down there and photographing all those stores got completely flooded out on that side of the road. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, you just see a lone car in the parking lot just completely submerged. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Riverhead Local back then uh, started a live blog where... Um, you know, reporters, you know, the whole reporting team went out and live blogged, um, you know, the storm and then residents could also um, send in things that could be added to the blog and uh, officials um, as well. And then it kind of morphed into uh, sort of like, again, where you're talking about, like, where can you get gas? Like, where can you get this thing? Where can you get that thing? And um, I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't there reporting on it, uh, you know, but um, it, it was just, I mean, I, I still remember it as such a, well, devastating, yeah, <laughs> devastating I'm, thing. I'm, it I'm, is. I'm a monumental moment in all our lives. I, it I, really I, was. And, it, and, and Chris, you know, we had our story this week, um, looking back and uh, Mike Wright, um, I thought did a, a pretty concept, comprehensive job of, of looking back. And one of the key points that he made was that, that we have learned lessons from Sandy that in particular PSEG and LIPA have, have, have put into play to try and try and bolster the region for a storm. And I find that, you know, there, we still have a long way to go oh. and a lot of this stuff hasn't been done, you know, but, but we did learn some lessons, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, you mentioned the, you know, utility companies. I, I don't know. I, I don't think we're, we're very, very well prepared at all. And I, and the resilience, not just of the, you know, electrical, you know, situation out here with all of the wires that are just so exposed. Um, I don't think the people here are, are ready for any kind of major, um, you know, setback. I, I kind of had maybe a unique experience because at the time I, I worked in a health food store and I just remember uh, like a woman coming in and buying like all the veggie chips she could buy, you know, and thinking that that was somehow going to prepare her. And we're so dependent out here on, on truck traffic, bringing stuff out. 
you know, you see those little blue signs with like coastal evacuation route mm-hmm. and, and, and what Bill was talking about with gasoline, I feel like there's such a thin line between life as we know it right now and well, complete insanity. And I think that you're completely right. so, is, is, is kind of an indication of, of how thin that line is. And when you're talking about the flooding in Sag Harbor and, and that lot where now they're proposing the, the uh, you know, I don't know how you want to call it. It's controversial to call it an affordable housing complex, but that the Potter proposals say, where would all that water go? You know, what kind of engineering is going to be necessary to build anything of size in that area of Sag Harbor? I don't know. There's a lot of questions that Superstorm Sandy raised that I don't think we've answered. Well, and 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 we saw it with the pandemic. Chris, you're absolutely right. And it, it, you talk about you look at the supply chain breakdown and you see through the pandemic, the other problem is all of the money. So you could have someone with deep pockets come into a grocery store when there is a supply chain breakdown right. and buy all of the food and toilet buy paper. all of the food. And then there's <laughs> nothing left for anyone else. And you are so right that it, we are incredibly vulnerable out here. Yeah. There is an incredibly thin line between well, life as we know it and, and a W WTF sort of uh, mm-hmm. complete breakdown of things. Well, and Chris, you mentioned the the coastal evacuation route signs. And if this past Wednesday night is any indication where a non-fatal accident on County Road 39 turned the entire East End into a parking lot, um, it took, um, I know, right. I know, Joe, it took several hours to go home, took me several hours to get home um, because because once they close one of the two arteries, then then traffic just, I mean, literally a parking lot, um, you know, along Montauk Highway and, and Hill Street and, and Southampton and not being able to get home, you wonder what would happen if they, you know, if they came through with a mandatory evacuation and nobody's, nobody's going anywhere. And then as far as, as far as, you know, the, the utilities, um, you know, they've, they've had a lot of years to prepare and they say they've been doing a lot, but we had, um, you know, tropical storm SIS, uh, two, just two years ago. And, and, and what was the, the, the number of, of power outages for that? It was, it was astronomical and it took them forever to get the power back on. And that wasn't even, um, anywhere near the level of Superstorm Sandy or, or a hurricane. So, I hope they've learned lessons, but I, I think it's, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I think as a society, we're mostly reactive anyway. So when the storm comes afterwards, we'll kind of try to try to deal with it. But I don't know how how prepared you can be other than maybe burying some of those power lines. And and that's just that's fraught, that's fraught a, with controversy. That is- it's such an interesting part of the conversation, though, because, yeah. you know, when you talk to the ele- the utilities, they will tell you that it's so much more expensive and maybe not the better way to do it. And they say that they have retrofitted a lot of the system now so that if uh, a and, and, you know, the you're absolutely right. I think, Chris, you were making the point that that it's it's a very vulnerable system. There's there's the lines are out there and trees all over the place with one tree limb doesn't take much to take out a power line, but I think what the utilities are saying is they now have systems in place to identify very quickly where the problems are and to go fix those problems in a way that almost like, I remember, (laughs) this is a bad analogy, but in the NFL, 
they they had tearaway jerseys for a while that that you know the people were tackling people by grabbing them from behind by the jersey and so they just made tearaway jerseys to make it easier to, to that you couldn't do that the system is sort of designed to be that way now i think it's modular so that if a tree limb falls it's it, it, it doesn't breaks. put out the whole grid it puts yeah, out it, one one small it's, area it's designed to 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 break so that I they didn't can know that. attach it more quickly um, th- there have been some advances like that, but underground. Oh, and they've installed the thicker, thicker wires. And, and Michael Wright describes some of this in, in his story. And they're using um, thicker, more sturdy electrical lines. But you know, when you're talking about hundred mile an hour winds and falling trees, uh, I mean, right. you can have a pretty thick wire. And I don't know that that that's going to be a lot of protection. But uh, mm-hmm. hopefully, not knocking on wood. Every storm season rolls around. I worry that Chris that we're not prepared and and that's and I think you're right about the prepared on a very personal level to just to make sure that we have supplies and things you know that that we don't panic I you know we talked earlier about fear being a big motivator motivator and I think it's also a motivator you know in those times too in a negative way creates I, I do want to say we are also very lucky I think about uh you know if there was uh, some huge disaster. I've already realized there's no getting off of uh, Long Island, and you know. But I realize we're also surround. We're also so incredibly lucky because you think about the pandemic and the supply chain breakdowns. We fared better than other regions because we have such a strong local food. So many farms. So many local food producers, we do have food and we have people who know how to grow food. So uh, we are also incredibly lucky. We have a lot of local producers who know how to grow, how to make things. So that is one reason why I wouldn't I, I would be honored to be stuck here if if something happened. Just. There's worse places to be stranded. Let's put it oh, that way. Sure. No question. Oh, sure. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Gianna Volpe of WLIW, uh, Chris Gangemi of the East Hampton Star, and Alec Lewis of Riverhead Local. Alec, we uh, had been talking in recent weeks with Denise about some proposals for Veterans Memorial Park in Riverhead. Uh, some of that is starting to come into focus now, right? There's a there's actually a proposal now. Well, um, there's been propo- a proposal that's been in the works for the past few months um, to b- bring a, a um, bubble uh, rink ice a bubble ice rink kind of a bubble dome for it um it's in veterans memorial park and and um the town has signed a license agreement with a nonprofit, profit hockey foundation to run that and they've also in addition to the ice rink they've also donated a deck hockey rink so the, I, I mean the idea is that Peconic hockey foundation would donate um this rink like donate building it donate um all the stuff and then they'd enter an agreement with the town to run it and to operate it and um basically the recreation department wouldn't have to you know deal with it and now in a similar proposal or or pretty much like a, a similar idea the the whole donation and then create an agreement to run it is also coming to kind of right 
north of where the bubble dome is expected to go. And it's um, two multi-purpose outdoor fields um, and um, three indoor sports uh, athletic facilities. And but this time it's a it's a private developer um, that's proposed this. Um, and basically he says, uh, I'll build the buildings, um, you know, with turf fields, they're going to have bathrooms, they're going to have uh, spaces for like events for birthdays, you know, s- corporate events. And then um, and then I'll run my business out of that. And I'll also donate for you these two outdoor fields right above it. And then the town can use them, whatever you, whatever they want. Uh, right now, there's no talk of whether the town will charge them rent or anything like that. It's just, you know, a donation. And then the town would be in this agreement with them to, you know, to, to run their business out of these facilities at Veterans Memorial Park. But I mean, it does kind of line up with what, um, the vision for Veterans Memorial Park was um, the recreation superintendent uh, last year said that he wanted Veterans Memorial Park, which is um, on town owned land at the Enterprise Park in Calverton around uh, along Route 25 um, to be kind of the mecca of Long Island or the East End sports um, and recreation, you know, for like tournaments and stuff like that. And um, I mean, there's been a lot of you know, development from the town's perspective of different fields in there. And and we had baseball fields built there a few years ago. Um, and like the Riverhead Tomcats play there too. Uh, that's like the collegiate, uh, I think right. baseball. Um, and um, also the, um, uh, there were pickleball f- courts built there too. And that's a huge thing that's mm-hmm. up and coming. Sure. It feels like, it feels like every time I look at even a national news outlet, I'm like, oh, there's a pickleball article because yeah, it's right. just becoming yeah. so it's becoming so popular. And Riverhead hosted a pickleball, like one of the first pickleball tournaments, I think, in uh, in New York, like a few years ago at like uh, at Stotsky Park uh, in the downtown Route 58 area. But um, it is a lot of development coming, and this is just one of those proposals that was put in front of the board on Thursday, um, brought in by. Uh, council member Bob Kern, um, and it's a really it's a really good spot for it, right? I mean, especially if you're going to have all that other industrial development in in Calverton to to you know to have you know some green inside enclosed or, or or outdoor, but but to have that green space up there and have the athletics up there and you know kind of right off the expressway and. And, and the Peconic Hockey Foundation, they have pretty deep pockets. I mean, I remember at Sabonic, we would have a fundraiser for the Peconic Hockey Foundation every year. And all, you know, uh, all the guy, all the hockey guys would come out and raise money. And there, so at least you there know were a that lot of hockey guys. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hockey, <laughs> hockey's a big deal on the East End, and, and which is oh, pretty I mean, remarkable considering the lack of facilities up till now. I mean, a lot of. A lot of people well, that, in the East End traveled a, a long way to play hockey on yeah. a regular yes. boys and girls. They're able to maintain it, uh, you know, at least at least you know it's a uh, an organization that would be interested in maintaining the property and keep it looking nice and keep it, you know, top notch. 
Well, that was one yeah. of the things that brought the proposal to Riverhead was, well, we have to go all the way out to Western Suffolk to get ice time. Right. And most yeah. of the time, the ice time is in the middle of the night. Right. So um, having one of those facilities on the East End would be a benefit. And yes, I believe you're right, Gianna, that the, the Kanakaki Foundation is backed, I believe, by um, a player or one of the owners of the Islanders, um, something like that. They have major clout and major... Um, connections with uh, the NHL and, and yeah, so. I, I used to meet I used to meet NHL players every year at that. It was my favorite my favorite day of like the uh, the summer season at Sabonic was always the Connick Hockey Foundation's fundraiser because uh, because you, you meet everyone. Hmm. Yeah, and it's and and I know that you know Buckskill in East Hampton and. In recent years, you've got the bubble that is put up every every winter um, at the driving range in Southampton. The the it converts into an ice rink, and it has really been very popular. I, you yeah. know, and and hockey has been a big part uh, at both of those places. So I, I think this would be a really interesting development if you have a major um, hockey facility. And it sounds like what's being proposed in Riverhead is well above those that that it's you know sort of a uh, a more significant development um and, it's and definitely and a much better spot than than Sh- Shotsky park right which was it was the original plan which uh, yeah which which gets a lot of uh, traffic and all that and it is a good spot but maybe it's a little just a little too tight in there and, and this one in in veterans memorial park is undeveloped land the, yeah. the i mean there was a fight kind of between uh you know whether to put it at Stotsky, whether to put it at veterans memorial park is it is it easier to put it at Stotsky? and um there were a lot of people in the community that felt that um putting it at Stotsky, which it would have been built on um one of two soccer fields that yeah. was on Stotsky, was you know taking away from um uh you know a lot of people who use that field in the community and sure. um especially the spatic community who use who play soccer every weekend and uh you don't want to you know, trade rent those fields i um, want to take something away to make something happen sorry chris sorry no uh, alec i just had a question um you know when you when you when you say undeveloped land i know that that the grasslands there by epcal are um you know some of the last really on Long Island and, you know, being a bird person, um, you know, interesting point. I love this. Well, I'm just wondering if how, how many acres is this? Cause, cause veteran veterans Memorial is adjacent to Epcal, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of the whole kind of land that the town got in 1998 from Congress. And it's kind of set off on the, on the West side of, of, you know, the, industrial part of uh that of uh epcal yeah. and uh so i'm not sure the exact acreage but i know the proposal that we heard on thursday was um about uh i think six acres and that's like two multi-purpose fields and then um the three buildings that would be they would be basically athletic buildings to run like programs for soccer and lacrosse that sort yeah. of thing they're, they're like smaller um uh buildings would have like turf sort of uh fields in them and um and i think the kanakaki's uh plan is another i guess maybe two acres or so but um yeah there's still a lot of land there Mm. um and the thing about this is and and what we're looking into right now is the town really they they list they 
for for the kind of cocky thing at least they um declared the aid agency on this um in you know for the state environmental quality and review act which is known as secra and they declared an illicit action and then they just kind of neg decked it they, they mm. you know issued a declaration which makes it need a impact. more more deeper one yeah yeah more which, deeper study it doesn't need a more detailed review and and that struck me as to be mm-hmm. honest like you know well we have we have a bunch of people talking about next to the runways that there's all this wildlife and there's right. all these birds and and that that have that nest in that area like there's all this this kind of wild grassland like why right. are we not examining that further and right. that's what actually we're sort Follow of the money Alex. reporting <laughs> well yeah that's what we're sort of looking into our reporting right now about yeah. this because and and i got a you know a, we've yet to make an article on this but i talked to a councilman about this and he said to me that um the the secret on this was already done um in 2004 with a a plan for the public park. It wasn't then known as Veterans Memorial Park, but it was basically like a public park at Epcal. But we can't find any secret documents related to this. So to be continued. To be continued. There's a lot more reporting to do there. So we're almost out of time. We have about 30 seconds left, Gianna. And we want to we want to remember, take a moment to remember Wally Smith, who passed away this week, uh, the longtime general manager of uh the radio station um give us 30 seconds on wally smith he passed for you know four weeks shy of his 88th birthday which would have been perfect as he was the leader here on the 88.3 section of the fm dial through the wpbx liu ppb uh iterations but his stewardship of this section of the fm dial led to us becoming WLIWFM. He is going to be sorely missed and is already sorely missed. He was a community treasure. Uh, remember him on October 16th. Truly a great, great man. One of the first men I met when I moved out here 25 years ago and he stayed a close friend uh, the whole time. We'll miss him dearly. Uh, that's all the time we have on Behind the Headlines this week. Thank you to our panelists, Alec Lewis of Riverhead Local, Gianna Volpe of right here on WLIW, and Christopher Gangemi of the East Hampton Star. Thank you guys. Appreciate you taking the time with us this week. Thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I hope you'll join us again next week for Behind the Headlines. Thanks, guys. Great show, guys. Thanks. Thank you.